Hi, Jens here. Are you interested in innovation? This might be something for you too. Every Friday, I share the latest innovation articles, ideas, videos, books, podcasts, and more that I discovered during the week in my newsletter, Connect the Dots. If you subscribe, you will receive an email into your inbox every Friday. You can't find the newsletter anywhere else, so you have to subscribe if you want to receive it. Head over to jensheitland.com, scroll to the bottom of the page and sign up. But now, let's get started with the podcast. Hello, innovators, and welcome to another episode of the Jens Heitland Show, where I connect the dots of innovation and entrepreneurship with my guests. Today's guest is Executive Director at Draper Venture Network, a global alliance of member funds who are present on all continents. He's a former Kaufman Fellow and musician. Sid shared his story growing up in Zambia, Africa, living in the UK and Tanzania before he moved to Silicon Valley. We talk about which problems startups should solve, how startup founders develop, of course, funding and dive a bit into education and music in the end. Please welcome to the show, Sid Morphia. Hello, Sid. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing good, Jens. Good to see you. Good to see Thanks you again. Thanks for having me today. Yeah. It's it's so 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 great that that we made it. Um, still remember the time when we have been in Barcelona together and drinking a couple of beers, <laughs> a couple of weeks yeah, ago. Me too. Yeah, that was that was so much fun. I uh, I went to that conference not knowing what's what was going to happen, and uh, the most meaningful connection I made was when you <laughs> randomly reached out and said, "Hey, nice website," and then <laughs> that followed with you know drinks and meals and meeting friends and yeah i'm just so so grateful that we met and it was not a sales pitch like some people <laughs> might think like <laughs> no 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 and yeah several weeks later we're on a podcast you know i'm on your podcast which you know it's a it's an honor thank you yeah Yeah, cool. Looking looking forward to learn from you specifically, of course, about startups because that's you have a lot of expertise around that and a lot of listeners will be interested in that. But before we go into that, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you and how did you get to where you are today? Um, yeah, sure. So I was born and raised in Zambia. And for those that don't know, Zambia is a country in Southern Africa, just south of the Congo, north of South Africa and Zimbabwe, about 12 million people. So reasonably small country. Um, my, my parents worked in the mining industry there. Um, and I went through you know, the school system there. I'm the first of four children. Um, and um, I got fortunate to be able to get into a track with school that got me some scholarships to be able to you know, study at some of the good schools in Zambia and then subsequently uh, study abroad as well. Um, so I studied uh, chemical engineering in the UK and I worked in the UK as well for a while. Um, and I've worked in you know, different places, Tanzania, and now currently working in Silicon Valley where I, I run an, a network of venture capital firms that invests, invest globally. Um, I live in the San Francisco Bay Area, married with two beautiful daughters. Nice. That's a very quick run. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we can we can double click. In, in yeah, we have to. In areas, yeah. Because you tell you told an awesome story. How did you end up as a chemical engineer, and then from a chemical engineer going to Silicon Valley working with venture capital? How did that work out? <laughs> that's a that's a great question. So growing up. I wanted to be a doctor. That's that's uh, so. This gets even stranger, right? <laughs> um, I, I really wanted to be a doctor, but I didn't want to study in Zambia because um, it took a long time. The the medical degree in Zambia was the longest degree, and then at the time, less so now, but at the time, we had real problems um, keeping 
the at the time the one university again it's different now there's there's, there's a lot more options but at the time we had real problems keeping that one university open um so you know it was a five-year degree that could take you 10 years and i just i guess i was impatient um um and so i had a i had an opportunity to apply for a scholarship with the company that worked that my parents worked for and who were who were my sponsors for um going through um high school um and they basically they were training up young Zambians to go study in the UK and in the US and then come back and work for the mines. Um, and you had several options. Uh, you could do anything you wanted as long as it was electrical engineering, chemical engineering, mechanical engineering, or geology. Or maybe there was one other or something like that. Um, so I thought, well, there's an opportunity here. Uh, and I looked at the, the, you know, the, the engineering options I had and I thought, well, I guess chemical engineering is kind of close to medicine. So I'll do that. And then at some point I'm going to change. So that's how I became a chem chemical engineer. I've never, never gone back to medicine, but I actually don't regret the decision to do chemical engineering. <laughs> it's really cool. And how, how did, how did then that lead to going to the US and working in Silicon Valley with the venture network? Um, so after after school, uh, university, I, I worked with Shell in, in, in the UK. And um, throughout all that time, I had this real passion to go back to the African continent and work in some way, some shape or form that was impactful. You know, I didn't know exactly what it was that would make my contribution would be. Um, so after several years at Shell, I got all my engineering badges and everything. Um, I, I really felt, okay, I've done the engineering thing. I'm probably not, I was a good engineer, but I'm probably not an engineer at heart. This is not something I would do for the rest of my life. Um, so let me figure out what is. Um, so I took some time out. I went and worked for the government in the UK running energy programs. So there was a bridge there. Um, and then I, I went and did a, a, a business degree. And the idea there was the business degree would really help me think through what are the business opportunities that I could um, um, do when back in Africa. And the whole goal was after business degree, I'm going back to Zambia to figure out what to do. Um, so after graduating from, from business school, I was looking for opportunities in Zambia, you know, to land with a job, soft landing, and then figure out what to do. I actually couldn't find anything in Zambia that was a fit, you know, either, you know, I was, you know, not qualified or too qualified or it wouldn't work with my family. At the time, um, my wife and I had a, a three-year-old daughter, so we were, you know, really thinking about you know, family and how, how that works. Um, but something came up in Tanzania um, that looked promising, so we decided we would move to Tanzania, which is right next door to Zambia. Um, and so I took a job with a, um, a non-profit that was building a new um, business entity in Tanzania, and they needed somebody to, um, to be there who was African enough to understand the local culture, uh, Western enough to understand how they think about the world from the West, um, but also had a, like an entrepreneurial bent to them um, so that they could build something new. Um, so that looked like a good fit. And so we moved to Tanzania um, and we were there for three years. And while I was there, um, I was thinking about very uh, carefully about what what can I do? So, I'll, you know, I'll take time out and I'll go to this, these big local markets, <laughs> open air. Um, they sell literally everything there, you know, and um, um, there was no map. So you'd, you'd have to, you know, ask around to navigate your way around. Um, and Tanzania speaks a different language to Zambia. They speak Swahili, which has a little bit of similarity, but it's different enough that it's a new language and you have to learn it. Um, and I, I, I very quickly had to learn it because living in Tanzania as a as an African man, people just assumed I spoke the language. And the moment they discovered I didn't, that was, you know, my, my reputation went downhill. Um, so this is this is a sidetrack, a little sidetrack, but I, I gave myself a, 
a target to learn to get to five minutes in a conversation before before somebody discovers that I'm not Tanzanian. Because if I get to five minutes and then they discover that I'm not Tanzanian and I'm speaking good Swahili, then my reputation goes up, not down. Um, and it, it took many months of daily lessons to get to there, and, and I eventually did. But with that, I'd go to the market and I'd start speaking to people. Hey, what do you do? What's your business? And how does your business work? And what are the constraints and so on? To just try to discover, you know, what it is that, you know, I could be helpful with. And my original thesis was that it's education. You know, people just need to know how to think about business in a different way. And to some extent, that's true. But by and large, it, it's not. Most people know what they're doing and they can run rings around anybody else who tries to do the same thing that they're doing. Um, but it was more structural. It was more about funding and access to resources that that was the real the real constraint. Um, so at the same time I was doing that, a friend of mine um, who I knew from high school approached me and said, hey, I'm, I'm thinking of starting a fund to invest in African entrepreneurs. Um, will you work with me to kind of, uh, to frame this? Um, what he wanted to start was a venture capital fund. And uh, I'd studied venture capital in business school and I didn't like the model. I, I thought it was a waste of money um, overall. Um, I think my views have changed on that since given I've spent so much time in the industry now, I've probably drunk, drunk the Kool-Aid. Um, um, but yeah, I, I, I genuinely believe there's real value that venture capital brings that is not measured in the way I was thinking about it then. Um, so I initially said, well, I'm not that keen on venture capital, you know, but, you know, maybe let's, yeah, let's work on something, to, you know, let's, let's frame this and, you know, we'll see, we'll see where it goes. Um, but in the process of doing that, I, I actually got into it quite a lot and we were we were getting quite deep into our strategy but coming up against the barrier of we both of us had no experience in the industry not no real network um so we both decided we we need to spend some time to do that um so that's when i started looking westward and outward to you know anybody who um can talk to me about venture capital so i, I started reaching out to people in Silicon Valley, um, I applied for the Kaufman Fellows Program, which at the time had a um, part of the program was was dedicated to folks that were not in the industry yet, and that's changed now. Um, you're not in the industry yet, but there's a there's a chance that you will get into the industry and engage with a firm that will sponsor you through that program, so that you can you can you can do that program, um, and that was really helpful for. Um, opening doors for me because being able to say I'm a Kaufman fellow um, to somebody who's in the industry um, everyone knows that name so I was able to have you know lots of conversations including with what was uh, then called the DFJ network as it was transitioning to become the Draper Venture Network and so you know that conversation led to me moving to Silicon Valley um, to join the Draper Venture Network and uh, and build my my network and relationships with uh, an experience in the, in, the, in, the, in the industry. So that's the kind of roundabout journey. <laughs> but I guess the, the string that pulls it all together is really this desire to, to have impact. Um, and uh, I guess some kind of willingness to like follow my gut when the data does not necessarily correlate. Yeah. That's, that's I think a big thing as well. When when you work with startups, it's, sometimes you don't have the figures yet, mm -hmm. and you need to believe in the people and and live it in in the gut. I guess at least I've I've never invested that much into into that world, so I don't really know how that works. But before we go into startups, Kaufman Fellowship, can you can you give a little bit of uh, background of what that is for the people who have never heard about it? Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's an amazing amazing program. Uh, I think it's been around for something like 25, 30 years. 
And the whole idea of, of the Kaufman Fellows Program is um, you're bringing together the best brains um, in investing um, to, number one, network with each other and create opportunities together. Um, number two, um, think about the craft of investing and how that's changing and learn together. Um, and so they run every year. And I think it's, you know, when we, when I did it, it was somewhere between 30 and 40 people every year are selected to, to be a cohort. And that cohort moves together through the program over two years. And you go through the whole life cycle of investing and, and thinking through. And a lot of people are either already investing in their own funds um, or they're, start, they're, they're starting new funds and they're, so they're thinking through that. Um, one of the great things that the Kaufman Fellows really do is um, it's not just about investing, it's really about the, 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 the person, the human. So there's a lot of um, um, self-discovery, there's a lot of leadership development in there um, and really building strong bonds with that group. So for example, I did the Kaufman Fellows program 2014 to 16. Um, and that group of people that I did the program with, we're, we're, we're close. We're, you know, we're in contact pretty much every day, every other day um, in our WhatsApp groups or whenever somebody's traveling to another place, you know, the, the, the first people I'll reach out to in a, in a new place where, where, where I'm visiting um, from a business point of view are my Kaufman fellow friends. We get together and you know, we're helping each other out. And um, yeah, so it's a really amazing program for the way that they curate the people and, and the culture that they, uh, that they build. Awesome. Let's get into startups. Cool. So get, getting some detailed questions, some little high, high level, we, we will figure that out. So if, if we look, you now working across different markets and having a global understanding as, as far as I can, can, can tell, what are different problems you think are not, not solved where more startup founders should look at? That's a, a great question. And I guess I'll, I'll probably have a personal bent bent to this to this question. Um, there's some problems that I'm still flabbergasted that we don't have a solution to. My and I, I, when I say my personal my personal uh, view on it is my personal experience of problems that we I, I feel we. We shouldn't have. So I was talking to my to my mom yesterday, because um, it was my my daughter's birthday, so her granddaughter. Um, and my mom has real problems sending anything from Zambia to here, whether it's money or something physical. It's a real problem. It's it's a lot easier, not necessarily easy, for me to send stuff to her. But the other way around, it doesn't work. Um, so problems like that, where you know we have the rails for people to be able to send money um, anywhere, but there there's some places where that doesn't translate into the ability to do that. So things like that, um, and we're we're literally like one step away from a mm. solution to a problem like that. Mm. Um, you know, being able to transact across the African continent is so hard. Um, that one is a harder problem because the, the geographical borders are, uh, they create a political structure which, which is difficult to break. Um, but it's it's more expensive to, you know, so living in Tanzania and, and trying and, and with family in Zambia, it's more expensive to do business between Tanzania and Zambia than it is between Tanzania and the UK, you know, so things like that. Um, but if you think more globally, I think, um, and I'm glad to see that there's a lot of activity in this space. I think the issue of climate is is big. Um, 
and I think we need even more brains uh, working on it. Um, and, and not just climate, I think I, I'll think of it broadly as resource, not just efficiency, but effectiveness. Um, you know, how, how do we reorganize our energy use as a planet to make sure that we have enough energy? Because we, we actually do fundamentally have enough energy, but we waste it and mm -hmm. we don't direct it in the right places. So I, I feel like those are like big, um, big problems that we need more entrepreneurs to be working on. Nice. If we talk about startup founders, what are traits you have experienced over the last years of successful startup founders? Successful in, in my eyes, they've survived the, the first five years and, and, and scaled their, their, their business to a, a proper level where you could say, okay, that's a company that's, that's going to survive and working. Uh -huh. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Um, so, so just to set the scene, so the, the, the organization I run, I run the network of funds. I'm not investing myself, but I, I work with a lot of founders and meet a lot of them. Um, and I think there's what I see with, you know, I've, I've, I've been here long enough that I, I see I see a journey with, with founders. Um, I see a level of obsession with what they're doing um, that, you know, it's almost like an extreme obsession, um, um, which which means they don't they don't give up um, because being a founder is is is, is really hard. Um, um, but also they they have this they have the obsession, but they also somehow have this flexibility to be able to, as they learn from the market, to to, to figure out how to meet with the market with what they're doing um i think that that combination is is is, is really powerful um, there are a lot of factors outside of the founders control you know timing and so on but but i think internally that and then their ability to to lead people and and, and get people to commit with them on the cause that they're doing whether those people are um, co-founders or investors or, or employees, advisors, etc. Yeah, the, the the leadership is an interesting one for me because this is this is a kind of a skill or a capability, especially in a startup. I come from the big corporate world where you have leadership trainings and you're like the first team leader, and then you get a special training, and then you're Taking, you're getting a department head after a couple of years, you get a special training. So kind of you you get all the different stars on your shoulders to be able and allowed to be a leader in, in, in a formal sense, in, in a management sense. In a startup environment, that's not really existing because it's like, yeah, you start a business and you kind of get a couple of people together, which maybe in the in, in the beginning is like friends and family, and that this naturally grows to something, and then you are a leader. And you need to take care of them, and it's not yeah. really the case. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it, it's it's very interesting the, the transition the the founder goes. I was, I was I was reading a blog post a couple of days ago about a um, a founder who was moving on from being the CEO of the company that brought in a new CEO, and mm. he's he's moving to the board, um, and he was talking about his personal transition yeah. it's like at the beginning i i was literally wearing all the hats i was everything i was chief salesperson i was chief product officer then we brought on a co-founder who was a really good product guy and i was mainly um, um chief salesperson then we got our first big client and i became uh, account manager and it's like the job keeps changing and i, and I really feel like the startup journey is 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 an amazing leadership development crucible. Probably one of the most devastating in its in its impact on the person, um, because there's so many jobs to do, so many jobs to learn to do, and all this time you've still got to you know make sure you're 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 you're, you're the leader and and you're you're taking taking responsibility, and there's people that are relying on you. So there's a lot, there's a lot that the founder goes through a, a big transition. And then 
you know, the company changes from small and gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then you become, you know, if you become a public company, very different kind of company to what you started, you know, barely you know, seven years before or 14 or whatever it was, you know. So there's a big development trajectory. Yeah. Do, do you see any patterns in this that, let's say, for example, in my, in my leadership career in the, in the corporate, I've had a mentor who is kind of a senior person kind of nudging me a little bit along the along the way do, do do you see the same things happening in the startup world yeah I, I see that and i also see um founders being part of mastermind groups hmm. which is you know small groups of people that are kind of your peers going through the same issues i think when you when you're able to just create that space to be open and vulnerable with each other about what's really going on yeah, I think that 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 really creates um, the ability to be able to to handle and manage those things, and also just knowing that you're not the only one. There's other people going through this. It, I think it gives it, it gives strength. Yeah. Let's go into funding. <laughs> that a, a lot of startup founders who are listening is like, okay, let, finally talk about the money piece. <laughs> so maybe start high level from from a founding perspective and 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 I've never considered this myself I at least what I have learned there there are startup founders who are founding a company to to sell it later on and or founding a company to say hey this is this is my baby I want to nurture this my whole life mm-hmm. are there different ways on how they attract investors in this two two ways um so the vcs um for talking specifically about venture capitalists mm. um they have no interest in the latter kind of company where you're you're founding it to you know to keep it forever because the the vc business model re- relies on there being an exit yeah. event. um um so so i guess my, my answer to that would be if you're doing the latter, then you, you're probably more likely to, to raise debt, um, which you repay back from the cash flow of the business and not equity, but the former um, where you're, um, you're, you're starting the company with the intention of um, having an exit event, then you, know, you can raise cap- equity partners because that's their incentive for being part of it because they know there'll be um, there'll be an exit event. Obviously, plans and may change as well in the future. So, you know, um, I'm sure there's some some gray area in, in between. What are what are the main differences from from a fundraising perspective towards Europe? If we compare Europe and the US, at least what I have heard um, to to tell you a little bit where I come from, it's way harder in Europe to get at all funding for startups and it, and what i heard at least in the us it's way easier and as well the the numbers are com- vastly different it's like to get to get 50000 euros in in europe is 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 very hard and in in the us what i've heard to to get 100000 is like yeah it's not a big deal is that true or is that just different mechanics i don't get um yeah, I don't have the numbers in front of me, um, but definitely the U.S. dominates the, the fundraising environment. I think it's something like 70% of the capital or 60% of the capital is in the U.S. Hmm. Um, so so by the law, the law of numbers, you'll hear more people raise capital in the US than, than raise capital in Europe. Um, so it feels easier. Um, per capita, I don't know. You know, um, there's lots of companies that are being started in the US. Um, probably probably more per capita than in, the, than in Europe. Um, so so in, in another sense, it might be harder in the US because one, one well, there's more money, but there's also more, way more companies. So I, I don't know if it's objectively harder or easier, um, but I know it's not 
it's not easy either way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was guessing that. Maybe it's also from a mindset perspective differently that you have in the U.S. a different mindset where you say, "Hey, I go for it, and mm -hmm. I try it earlier than you might do." Let's say if I come from Germany, then in Germany, coming from Germany for me, it's like, yeah, you you don't go to someone when it's not perfect yet, right? And that's yeah, that's it, maybe as well a limiting factor in approaching capital. Yeah, I've heard I've heard that um, sentiment, um, especially from like uh, European advisors of startups uh, or investors in startups, um, where they feel their founders could be more aggressive. Um, yeah. I guess you know in, in America that's that's kind of encouraged and. I guess it's 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 the culture. Um, so the European cultures tend to be more conservative, um, and I think both cultures have their have have their place. But I guess for fundraising, the the aggressive approach tends to tends to work better. Right. So let let let's go into details. Im, im, imagine there's a first time founder. They have. They have a good idea that's solving a real problem in this world, and there is a market potential to capture that. Mm -hmm. What what would you recommend this founder who has never done anything towards fundraising and never built a business before to approach this fundraising activity? So, at what stage are they? They've they've they've, they've got some kind of prototype and they've tested yeah. it, and there's there's a feeling that there's kind of there's a little bit traction going on they see okay people are getting interested they're they're willing to buy um the service or whatever they're doing uh -huh. um i'll i'll start doing a little research on who's investing in the kind of thing that i'm doing <laughs> so um so that 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 match is important because not not everyone who's an investor will invest in just about anything um, so I'll do a, some research and have a you know have a have a list of those people, um, and then start hitting them up for conversations. Um, put your best foot forward and say, hey, this is what I've got. Um, this is where we are so far. Here, are, here's here's the promising feedback I'm getting from from customers. Would you like to chat? Right. And and if 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 the matching is right, a lot of investors will, will want to chat. Um, I think the thing the thing to remember is the investors also want something. So uh, the closer the closer the match of what I'm offering is to what they're looking for, the more likely that we'll we'll, we'll have a conversation. Um, a lot of investors um, they're so overwhelmed with um, inbound um, that it might be better if it's possible to get a warm introduction from somebody that they know it just increases the chance that you'll get a you get a conversation um and it's not it's not for want of you know it's it's not because they you know they, they they're bad people and don't want to meet it's it's just they're just trying to you know allocate their time so something like that will, will help you get to the front of the queue um talk 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 to enough people to to validate so use um some of the best advice i've heard from founders is use the conversations with the vcs not just to raise the money but to learn hmm. because um there'll be things that you learn about the business that they know because they see so many businesses whereas you're working with one um and, and really use it as an opportunity to learn um so that even if you don't raise any money from them every single conversation is an opportunity to make that product or the pitch or your understanding of the market better would you then say at least in my approach i would i would say okay i will talk first to a couple of before i hit the what i i really want to target oh yeah for sure for sure <laughs> absolutely absolutely yeah um yeah um because at the beginning there's there's kind of this raw ambition hmm. um and but maybe there's not as much finesse with 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 what the offering is, um, and uh, uh, is it Mike Tyson who said everyone has a plan until they get punched in the, in the face? Yeah. Um, so so th those first few contacts make them little jabs, not you know uppercuts, right? Um, to get ready for the you know for the for the for the folks that you really want to be to be partners with. 
Yeah, I think that's 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 maybe good part to to talk about the personal development of the person. Um, you mentioned already that they're on a track of personal development the whole time from a leadership perspective, but I think it's also from a confidence, like talking to the first VC, you might mm -hmm. not be confident at all. It's like you don't know what the, you might have read about as you did your research, but mm -hmm. you don't really know what they're asking for. And then they're punching you into the face. Like you said, it's like, okay, I take that punch, but then standing up and doing it again. I think that's, that's very important from a personal development aspect. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The fundraising journey is one of the most humbling journeys because most of the answers will be no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and then all for, for good reason, you know, um, um, but you know, if, 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 if the founder learns from it, then they'll, they'll get the few yeses that they need in order to be able to build. Yeah. And it's, at least for me, I've never done it in that way. I think it's not that you need to do the, you need to have the big check. It's it's more about getting something that helps you to get to the next level and then proving that you are successful. Because exactly. then I guess at least if you show that success, then people are more more willing to to put more money yeah. into it. Yeah, exactly. Peter Peter Diamandis, um, the founder of XPRIZE, um, he has a he has a great quote. Um, I think he called it he calls it. I think it's risk staging or something like that. I don't quote me on the exact phrase, but basically it's saying, look, you're you're only asking people to to take, you know, you you don't want them to to ask them to commit to the whole thing. Get them to the next the next stage, the next level of risk, um, you know. And then prove that point, and then get the next level of capital for the for the next level, rather than trying to you know um, boil the whole thing into into one. And I think that's that's very wise. Yeah. One thing I have had a call this this week with a couple of fellow former at least um, corporate innovators, and and one thing we commonly said. When you come from the corporate world and you do your first entrepreneurial gig, where it's like you found your your own company, even if it's a consultancy or something, you're used to the big money. And the problem we have at all, including me, we have burned too much money in the first year, all of us, because we're used to that. And I I, I think the, the 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 tricky thing or the the positive thing in that way as a startup founder, you start with zero money most of the time, at least. Mm -hmm. And then you, you you can't burn that much, but I think it's it's very important to have have a look at that from the beginning, uh, that you build something that is kind of making money. It's it sounds weird, I I, I know, but I have seen it over and over again where a startup hasn't done any income for two years at all, and I'm not sure if that's if that's common or if if, if that's something that's you wouldn't recommend. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, I guess the my answer to that would be, it depends, it depends what you're doing. Um, um, because sometimes it takes two years to build to the point where you, you, you get some revenue and that's where, that's where you bring in venture capitalists as partners, that's where they excel because they, um, they help you to bridge that 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 gap while you focus on building you know they understand that okay I'm, I'm i'm putting my capital at risk so that you you have time to build um but there are some cases where that time is not being used well um and uh, as an investor you want to you know you want you want to see some some return for it um but but if the understanding is look I'm solving a hard problem, um, and in order to solve the hard problem, I need this talent, um, and we need to really go into the bunker and 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 build something. And in three months, we want to be able to test it with customers and get their feedback. We won't be able to get any money for it because it's just the kind of product that people don't understand yet. So. I think there's there's a case for that, and and that's the classic reason to need 
a venture capitalist because yeah. um, they're they're seeing they're seeing the potential and they're saying oh yeah you've you've identified a great problem which I think needs to be solved um, and I think you are the people to solve it so I'll back you to be able to do that so that's I guess fundamentally what I I think venture capital is for yeah. um, but it's also abused because you know. <laughs> Sometimes it's like, well, yeah, I think we need to we need to get some money here. Yeah. Talking about these skills, if we look into the the education system, the development of young kids and people who are growing up right now, at least in my history, growing up in the eighties and nineties, there was like zero education towards that. Even even in in the university I did, there was like not really, of course, <laughs> theories of how you run a company and how you do bookkeeping, but that doesn't really prepare you to run a company. Yeah. Do, what do you think we, we would need to change to educate entrepreneurial ways of thinking early on from childhood? Or if, if, you, if you have the opinion that should be done, of course. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I think about it a lot because um, uh, my older daughter is 15. And um, you know, thinking about her her education and uh, you know, um, we think a lot about that, and we um, we've tried so many you know, you know different things. Um, I think ultimately, entrepreneurship education should stop way earlier than we started. Um, um, I would very happily sacrifice a lot of the stuff that we learn in school. Um, to get kids thinking about how to start a business and how to run and maintain uh, a team. Um, yeah, uh, so I, I played I played sport when I was a kid, and I feel like sport is underrated for its value mm -hmm. because it, it builds that ability to think about success as a team and how do you get success as a team um so more sports um more more time thinking through the lens of uh i think in general we're very bad at thinking through the lens of capital um oh, yeah. not something that we we think about we, we we learn in school at all um um we 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 kind of take the knowledge and assume that somebody else is thinking about the capital. Um, but I think the world that we're moving into, um, you know, if, if, if the vision of uh, the, the vision of Web3 is realized, for example, um, all of us will be our own bankers. But we don't, That's have difficult. The we don't have the skill to do that. We don't even know what the role of a banker is yeah. in, in our society, let alone our own lives. So I think a, a lot of that kind of learning would be amazing. Yeah. I don't know how we get there, but that's what we need, I, I feel. I agree. Fun, fun story. When I was meeting, it was around Christmas last year, with a buddy of mine in Germany, what we both said is that our, our parents, so they are now in their 60s and upwards, mm -hmm. They haven't learned that as well, so they haven't trained us in the same way. So yeah, exactly. it's basically a whole generation or even two generations which yeah. have never learned this. Of course, if you have worked in a finance position, maybe you have had more of that. But people who have not worked in a company where they have not really connected to finance, and it came up through a conversation around like the, his parents owned a house and and like they owned this house for 40 years and it's still not paid back. And like now, now the grandkids are born and they're basically, they're, they're, in, they're inheriting the depths of the grandparents, which have not, right. it's like, that. it was so out of, out of my thoughts, at least from a capital perspective. And I'm really mm -hmm. struggling right now. My daughter is four and a half. Like, how do I teach her? Right. How do I teach her that, the the value of money because she's now running around yeah if that's broken then we need to buy something new like no that's not the way how it works here right yeah it's, yeah i think yeah it's I, I i totally agree it's and it's hard and you say two generations i think it's three because uh, your daughter and my daughters we're not equipped 
to teach them. True. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? So, so we, you know, so so maybe maybe the generation after them, if we get it right in the meantime, you know, we'll, we'll get it. You know. <laughs> yeah, let's try to at least. Yeah, exactly. What are your thoughts on nurturing uh, the ambition of a young person or someone who is going towards entrepreneurship? I think it's it's exposure. Um, one of the benefits we've had over the last, say, 10 years or so when, when social media becomes more prevalent and you can see all the different possibilities is now... Now kids can see possibilities that they wouldn't have seen pre-social media of what what you can be. Um, yeah. And I, I think, well, that's one, that's kind of a surface exposure, but it, it, it kind of shows that this is, this is possible and many people are doing it. So I can aspire to be something like that. But I think a second kind of exposure, um, and I've, I've, tr I've tried to do this for, for my daughter, is go and meet real people who are doing the thing that you're thinking of. Um, and that will do two things. One, it will inspire you more. Or two, it will show you the reality. Um, there's, you know, there's always another side to the reality that you may not have been aware of. And And, and knowing that reality will be like, oh yeah, okay, I can I can handle that. I I I want this enough that I can handle the, you know, the the the, the other side of it. Or ah, I didn't realize it was like that, and I I don't want to I don't want to do this. Yeah. Um, so, um, so I think that exposure is 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 huge. Yeah, interesting to that point. I, I was coaching a person. In, inside of the company I'm supporting right now, she's fairly young, like 24 or something. And I was asking because she has like huge ambition. You can really feel it when when you are like talking about her future. It's like, hey, wh where does it come from? So she was not aware at all where her drives come from, mm -hmm, and that's mm -hmm. that's something I I've had the possibility to work with someone in the past who, who kind of took that for me and and helped me to bring that to the surface as well for me to understand, okay, where does the energy come from so yes. that you can channelize it towards a direction you want to, to use it. Yeah. Do you have any experiences for yourself, how, how you did that in the past and getting where you are today? Um, yeah, I, I don't know where ambition comes from, but I, I, it's, it's, it's almost like, uh, You can't run away from it if you have it, right? Mm. Um, yeah, so it's 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 hard to answer personally because it's like it's just like that. <laughs> you, know, yeah. you know what I mean? But I, I think I think yeah, for me, um, one thing that I found um, when I look back that really helped me to like harness ambition was was my dad was very involved and encouraging in kind of yeah you you can do it or you you should go and do it um and i think as a kid knowing that it's okay to do that hmm. is big um um because it, it it kind of provides the freedom to um to uh, to try out things um um you know i know we're talking about entrepreneurship but and my, and my dad was he was an entrepreneur um he was very into you've got to do well in school but he was also he also loved music uh, mm -hmm. but he wasn't a musician But he would buy all these whenever he'd find a secondhand um, um, instrument somewhere. He'd he'd buy it and bring it to the house, and then me and my brother would play it, play around with it. So he 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 basically, without being a musician himself, he creates an environment where you can try things and learn new things. Um, so I think those things help to harness that natural innate ambition, which you know we don't know where that comes from, but it's there. Um, but gives it more 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 wings to fly yeah
talking about music, how do, I mean, we, we haven't scratched that at all, <laughs> but you, you're a musician as well. Yes. So how, how did, how did you, do you, did you start being a musician? How, how did you learn it? And what is your favorite instrument? Um, I'll start with my favorite instrument. Um, it's uh, it's a guitar. Um, so I have uh, several different guitars. I have a, a bright yellow electric guitar I'm looking at right now. I have um, an acoustic guitar down there. My latest uh, guitar, want me, want me to show it to you? Yes. It's uh, I don't know if you can see that. Ooh. This is uh this is an ngoni. It's a, uh -huh. it's an African instrument. Um from what I've read, this is the original guitar. Um so before before guitars became what they are today, they um basically originated from guitars like this. Uh -huh. This is uh, cool. this is from West Africa. Um, was played, you know, thousands of years ago. Um, this particular one was made for me by somebody in Oakland, so it's not directly from West Africa. But I, I love the fact that, you know, I can play something that has, you know, um, such a link to, number one, my home back in Africa, and number two, thousands of years back, you know, somebody somewhere thousands of years back was playing an instrument just like this. Um, um, yeah, so how I started in music, um, growing up, like I said, we we didn't have like a lot of money to be able to have musical instruments, but my dad would get, you know, he bought us this little organ, which is literally like two octaves, like it was very small. Mm. Um, and my brother and I would play that thing to death. It was very old design, it's an old Italian design. Um, you plug it into the power and it, it it starts a fan and the fan blows into this this organ and you play it and then you know we would play it so much that the fan would break and then turn it up upside down open it up get some super glue fix it back together wait for it to dry up start playing again and you know two weeks later it will break again and we'll do the same thing again and that's how that's how we we taught ourselves to um to play music my brother's a much better musician than i am um so he did most of the teaching but I was grateful to have the, you know, the the, the opportunity to learn, uh, learn with him and learn, you know, to play music. And then ultimately we started playing for the church because now if you're playing at the church, you can play the instruments there. Hmm. You can play the guitar, you can play the keyboards and so on. And so we, we started playing um, and singing at the church and learning there. And when I went to boarding school for high school, um, I made friends with the, with the music teacher there. So I'll be able to get the keys to the music room over the weekend and lock myself in there and just 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 play so that yeah that's, that's how great. i learned yeah f funnily enough that's that's how i started with music as well because i i i played trumpet for over 30 years i haven't done mm -hmm. it in the last years but it, it was also through church because then you can get a trumpet yes and you can play with it <laughs> it's quite funny so, but how do, how do you use music for yourself as well and for feeling well and and like because you're you're a businessman you're working with with the network you're working with venture capital how does music play a role in your life connect to that yeah it's it's for me it's it's actually big um it, it plays a big role um i find playing music exercises a completely different part of my brain to doing the business work. Um, and when I'm particularly busy, um, I know I need to spend more time playing music hmm. um, because it's actually refreshing and restful. Um, it's probably for me the thing that I would just do anyway, regardless, like if, if I had all the free time in the world, what would I do? I mean, I probably don't want to play music like all the time, but it's it's probably the one thing that I would spend a lot of time on. Um, mm. And so I find having that that balance because I think a lot of the a lot of the business work, 
there's definitely a lot of um, uh, right brain work there, but there's a lot of left brain. Music tends to be more right brain, um, um, less left brain, but and 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 tapping into that um, is important. It helps me tap into like deeper parts of me. I songwrite as well, mm. so it helps me tap into deeper parts of me and help me understand what is going on. And I can look back at the songs I've written over a period of time and see what was happening because because of those songs that I wrote. Um, yeah, so I love I love what it brings to to my life. It's it's like an, I feel like. Uh, my life would be half empty if it wasn't there. Yeah, I get that. My my wife is always saying because for for me the music right now is is like sports and running. Mm -hmm. She's always you need to go out running. You need to go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Then, then I say yeah. okay. Am you're I, too am I being grumpy? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yep. Yep. Exactly. exactly. So okay. That's the, that's that's the pressure valve which which needs to be emptied. Exactly. Exactly. That's awesome. <laughs> She's very wise. <laughs> yeah. Someone needs to be if you yeah. if you have a madman at home and who is working twenty four seven. Right. <laughs> cool. Let Let's get to the last part of the podcast. So. St starting with a question I ask every guest, if you could work um, on a project that's impacting every human being on earth, what project would you choose to work with and why would you choose that project? Ooh, what a question. I know it's a very, very easy question. <laughs> impacting every human being on earth. I would, and this is going to sound very wishy-washy, but I, I feel it's it's as solid as it comes. I would build or create something that all, helps us all to love others at the maximum level possible. <laughs> so it's like it's everyone a love, loves love, everyone. Love maximizer. <laughs> I love that. Is that technology or is that something else? Like, I don't know. Maybe I it's a know. drug. It, it's, <laughs> it, maybe it's a drug. I don't know. But um, I feel if, and it's a simple thing to say, but I, I feel if 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 that was even possible, it would be a very different world. Yeah. Very cool one. How can people uh, reach out to you and, and, and where can people find you? Um, sure, uh, several different places. Um, if, if you want to listen to music, I'm on Instagram at Mafia Music. Um, if you want to talk about venture capital, I'm at Sid at DraperNetwork.com. And if you want to see the awesome website, that's how we got connected. If you want to see the awesome website, it's sidmafia.com. <laughs> and you can and, and I, there I highly well. recommend everyone looking at it. I would love to have such a website. Cool. <laughs> no, it, it's true. I really love it. it. It's really cool as well. How, not, not just the visual appealing part as well, how you set it up with the values and so on. It's, it's a really good one. So everyone who is listening or watching this, you should have a look at it at least. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. Glad to hear <laughs> that. Awesome. Is there anything we forgot to talk about? No, I think uh, we, we covered a lot of ground. This was a fun conversation. Thank you for, uh, thank you for having me. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for joining. Was was a pleasure seeing you again on the screen and and talking to you and digging deeper learning more about you of course and yeah thank you as well for for sharing all the startup nuggets you have shared thank you very much it was, sure was a pleasure sure thing thank you and thanks for having me thanks for listening to today's episode you will find the links and resources in the show notes of this episode if you would like to support the podcast, the most impactful thing you can do is subscribing to the show on any of the podcasting platforms and give me a review. 
This will help me to reach more innovators around the world and bring some of you into the show. If you have any questions to the guest or want to engage with me, feel free to reach out to me on social media and contact me there.